Welcome to Christ the Center, your weekly conversation of Reformed Theology. This is episode number 332. My name is Camden Busey. I'm the pastor of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Grays Lake, Illinois. I'm delighted to be back with you today. We have our regulars. Let me introduce to you first Jared Oliphant, who is regional coordinator for Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Welcome back, Jared. It's good to have you once again. Thanks, Camden. Great to be on. We also have Jeff Waddington, who is stated supply at Knox OPC in Lansdowne, Pennsylvania. Welcome back, Dr. Waddington. It's good to have you. It's good to, good to be here, even on this cloudy and rainy day. Yes, yes, yes. But you'll brighten things up. And uh, we are very delighted also to welcome back to the program Dr. Vern Poitras, who is Professor of New Testament Interpretation at Westminster Theological Seminary. Welcome back, Dr. Poitras. It's an honor to have you once again. Well, thank you for inviting me. Dr. Poitras has written a new book. It's uh, just published with Crossway, titled Chance and the Sovereignty of God, A God-Centered Approach to Probability and Random Events. He's continuing his series, uh, looking at a whole host of different theological, even scientific topics, and exploring them from a God-centered approach, and more than that, a Trinitarian approach, because that's who God is in himself. And so we're very excited to open up this book today and discuss about this, or discuss this topic uh, with a noted expert, not only in the Bible and in uh, New Testament interpretation, but also in mathematics. But before we get started, let me uh, mention that Christ the Center is listener-supported, and we do rely on the generous support of all of our listeners to help us continue to produce and distribute all of our programs free of charge. We love uh, getting together and discussing theological topics and uh, introducing new ideas and new thoughts to you, the listener, but we need your help. So please visit us online today at reformedforum.org slash donate uh, to pledge your support and get a hold of us too. Let us know how uh, you found our programs helpful. Let us know how you'd like uh, us to help you in your understanding and study of God's Word, and let us know how we can help and support the church, for that's what we're here to do, uh, to, to support the church in any way that we possibly can, and we love doing that. So visit us online today and help us out. Once again, reformedforum.org slash donate. We want to thank everybody for their support of everything we do at Reformed Forum, and especially this program, Christ the Center. Now, Dr. Poitras, uh, we have yet another book. I, I don't know how many this makes in the series. Uh, uh, you're looking at a God-centered approach to all sorts of different topics, but you have your book on logic. We have one, of course, on uh, redeeming science. We had one on sociology. We have one on uh, the Bible, God-centered approach to interpretation. Can you describe uh, just the series in general and uh, reintroduce to the listener who may not remember or who's brand new to this idea, what you're attempting in this series of books. It wasn't planned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, in the providence of God, I, I fell into it to a certain extent. So I didn't plan a series, but I, I tried to uh, address topics that I thought were um, important and, and areas that uh, needed serious rethinking on the basis of uh, divine uh, special revelation in Scripture, and uh, with God, of course, God is at the center in the biblical picture of the world, and He is the Trinitarian God. So I've been very interested in showing how uh, God, as the Trinitarian God, is uh, at the foundation and and is uh, integral to uh, a, a Christian understanding of various subjects. 
And uh, it, it, even though it wasn't planned as a series, once I got going, I thought, well, let's let's right. continue. <laughs> uh, but it's also it's motivated partly by. Uh, the conviction that Christ is Lord of all of life, not just of a narrow religious sphere. And and we're feeling, and Abraham Kuyper, of course, is, is part of that heritage, and and uh, I have been challenged by him and uh, by the Reformed tradition to, and by, well, above all, Van Til, uh, Cornelius Van Til, who built on Kuyper, and uh, maintain strongly that a uh, Christian view would be distinctive, sometimes in subtle ways, but uh, always in deep ways, because it matters. Truth matters, and uh, truth is ultimately truth in the mind of God. It, it's, it's deeply related to our fellowship with God. So it was those kinds of things that got me started uh, doing these, but also I'm convinced that it's important because we've got all sorts of cultural pressures in the direction of of keeping God private, keeping you know if you believe in God in your uh, in your mind and uh, worshiping in your co- closet, that's okay. But don't interfere with what really matters. I mean, this is the thinking of the world, obviously not my thinking, but way uh, in what really matters. Uh, keep your religion to yourself. So uh, science, business, education, uh, you know, the whole list of areas that uh, people want to be, in effect, they want to live independent of God. You know, it's part of human rebellion, I think. Uh, And uh, there are common grace blessings that we can enjoy in all those spheres. I'm not saying, of course, that that non-Christians don't make a lot of interesting and wonderful contributions, but sure. it's contaminated by this desire to be independent of God. And uh, this particular one I, I wrote because I think the whole area of chance need and of probability needs looking at. But in addition, I wrote it from a practical standpoint because I think people uh, are, they struggle over unaccountable things that happen in their lives. Everybody has experiences, if sometimes personally, sometimes a friend or relative, or where, you know, there's a horrible auto accident, or somebody gets cancer at a young age, and, and people just struggle over these kinds of things. Is it just chance, you know, where was God in this? So there's a practical side of this particular book. Yeah, and you begin the the very book with a very important and foundational illustration in which your family was faced with the prospect of more than one, actually, car accidents in the same event, a very dangerous episode that you were spared from. But it does raise a whole host of questions about where was God? Is he in control? If he is in control, how does he just respond to events that happen randomly, or is he ordering them and decreeing them through his providence? beforehand. There are a whole host of issues that are at play. And I think that you are precisely the right person to write such a book, not only skilled and gifted in theology and teaching at a theological seminary, but also one with a completed PhD in mathematics at Harvard. Can you describe some of your mathematical background briefly and and how that has helped you maybe see some things in this particular topic that uh, other theologians might not see quite readily? 
Uh, well, I was I I was I love mathematics from from kindergarten virtually. I, you know, it was just something that I I took to, and I realized not everybody has gifts in that area. And I majored in mathematics at Caltech, and then went on, as you mentioned, to get a PhD in mathematics at Harvard. Uh, I didn't uh, look strongly at that point uh, with, at the theory of probability, which has grown to be uh, a complex and rich uh, mathematical theory. Uh, but the interest, of course, goes beyond mathematics into the world where we meet uh, events that are we judge more or less probable. So that's part of my background. But somebody asked me, well, because of your background in mathematics, is it giving you insight into God? And I replied, it's more the other way around. Yeah, that, uh, exactly. I think, I think we, we should be starting with the knowledge of God. Of course, there's knowledge of God through general revelation, but it gets corrupted because of sin. So we very much need Scripture, and of course, the Christ of Scripture who mediates the knowledge of God to us. That then opens up into the fact that Christ as the eternal Word of God, as the wisdom of God, as is the source of all truth, not simply, obviously there's a centrality to redemptive truth, right? And, and that's, but it's a starting point for opening a world. Calvin talks about scriptures as the spectacles through which we properly uh, restore a, an understanding and vision of the rest of the world. So it's that route that I recommend to people and that I've tried to follow. And people who try to go the other way, it's possible in principle because God does leave the stamp of his character on the things that he has made. It's, so it's possible in principle, but as I say, it gets corrupted. So the Bible is uniquely designed, and of course, redemption in Christ more broadly, is God's own design for restoring this knowledge. But I think to answer the other part of your question, the fact that I have a background in mathematics means that I'm not afraid to go into these things. And I think some theologians are kind of intimidated because the, you know, the, the triumphs of science and the mysteries of science are have become so enormous in our day that that people uh, feel they have to genuflect. And uh, I think it's wonderful, but it's a wonderful display of the glory of God. So I genuflect to God, <laughs> worship right. God, Amen. Uh, as he's revealed in these areas of science, and including then mathematics and, and probability. Dr. Porthers, I had a, a kind of general question. You start off in um, chapter one, goes through the Bible as a source of for knowledge, and um, it's it's so fascinating the way that you interweave theology and even scriptural passages throughout the whole book. Um, I want to encourage the reader for that if they're wondering if this is just going to be too technical on the mathematics. Um, but I wondered if we could start out kind of combining those two things where uh, you actually mentioned chance and coincidence. And, and there are a few passages in the scripture that actually relate to that. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you mean by chance and, and coincidence to get us started and, and uh, whether scripture has anything to say about those topics? Right. Yeah, and I I may say and preface that that I wrote the book with a general audience in, in mind, uh, and so um, it, I I tried to be 
merciful in terms of it. There is some mathematics later on in the book. I mean, there's a lot of it that's uh, uh, scripture and theology. There is some mathematics later on, but it's it's element. It's elementary. It's very and illustrative. Right? Uh, it, yeah, it's and it's illustrative of um, the the way in which uh, God reveals His character uh, in the various areas of knowledge. But yeah, the scripture, going back to the heart of your question, uh, scripture has instances where, uh, for instance, in Ecclesiastes, it says time and chance happen to them all. And Ecclesiastes, I think one of the main things is you're not God and you can't understand. <laughs> there's, there, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. We dis do not have an explanation, no matter how hard we try. Now, that sounds very negative until you realize it forces us to trust where we do not know. Uh, right? We do not know. And Job is an obvious example, right, of things happening to him that, that he can't understand why, and his friends come up with explanations, and the explanations are no good. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, it's but this is life. You know, the fact is there are things that we do not understand, and, and uh, it goes back to uh, the need to say God is God, and I am not. And he is good. He's demonstrated his goodness in the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ above all. And, and on that basis, we can see that he brings good even out of unaccountable and positively evil, uh, uh, sinful actions, for instance, of, of those who crucified Jesus. Uh, but th- there, there's also a huge host of things that are coincidences, or we might call chance events. Now, I were, my meaning of chance at that point is it's something that humanly we couldn't predict that we can't explain in terms of cause effect the relationships of a of a you know a causes b kind of uh, situation and uh, it's not that and there you must be careful here to say god does control such things but it's our human point of view which of course god uh, understands, right? He he understands everything about us, and he understands how it looks from our point of view, as well as the fact that, of course, he has a, a comprehensive plan. So there are many episodes in Scripture, many events in Scripture that involve things that couldn't be predicted. Uh, certainly the disasters that came to Job, but, but also there's things like, for instance, um, uh, Isaac, uh, goes away to, uh, to uh, no, not Isaac, the servant of Abraham, sorry. The servant of Abraham is sent to find a wife for Isaac, and he meets Rebekah at the well. And these things happen. And he's, obviously he's, he meets her just after he's finished praying, Lord, show me the, pers- the, the woman that you have selected. And then right away, here's Rebekah. Well, nobody could predict that, humanly speaking. And and jo- the life of Joseph, you know, one thing after another puts him finally in a position where he's becomes the uh, the instrument, God's instrument, in saving his family and all of Egypt from the famine. So so life is full of these uh, kinds of things 
that we cannot predict. And and the it is fascinating, I think, to go through the Bible and look at just how many things there are like that. Uh, that and you'd say, well, what if? What if Rebecca had not uh, gone to the well at that particular time? And uh, you know, and of course we can't answer, right? But God so orchestrates in everything, including uh, human actions where Rebecca, you know, it's obvious Rebecca is an ordinary uh, girl whose task is to go out to the well and get some water. And uh, so she's making her own decisions, right? She isn't a robot or an automaton, but God is in control of that entire thing. And so I think those illustrations help even though they don't give uh give us divine knowledge they help us to understand uh look this is a matter where we must trust god another uh maybe a quaint illustration of this from the scriptures is the book of ruth when uh, oh, ruth, right remember ruth is to go to harvest grain or to glean uh as a as a poor person uh and the the scriptures actually say that she chanced to chance to uh, ended up in Boaz's field, uh, and that's yeah. another example. That's almost an ironic. Almost the author, I imagine, has a twinkle in his eye as he writes that way. We know that, in fact, that that God is superintending this whole uh, story of, of uh, Ruth and Boaz, and of course, it's all part of the unfolding plan of redemption and the coming of King David and so forth. Uh, so. What is the difference between a biblical and reformed view of God's sovereignty uh, as it relates to coincidence and chance and probability and, say, the views of deism? Deism, of course, is saying God set the whole thing up like clockwork, but then he, he's such a good uh, engineer that it just goes by itself afterwards. And and people who say that sometimes think of the clockwork as deterministic, so that even it includes chance events. But the trouble is that it removes God as personally involved. And the Bible over and over again talks about, for instance, he causes grass to grow for the cattle. Well, here that's a regularity. Uh, that he's involved in these things, although we can give explanations in terms of secondary causes, that does not uh, deny, that does not contradict the fact that God as primary cause is involved. So God is involved in the regularities. He causes grass to grow for the cattle. He's also involved in things that cannot be predicted. He, he sends forth snow like wool, it says in Psalm 147. And, you know, that I think we have to fight continually as Christians not to fall into a mechanistic view because it's all around us. So the weather, for instance, you know, we think of, oh, well, it, you know, that's that's a matter of the atmospheric motions and, and how much moisture is there and what the temperature is and the snow comes when the temperature is cold enough. And, you know, we give all this explanation in terms of secondary causes, and it's true as far as it goes, but then you've got to also be able to say, wow, look at what God is doing. You know, isn't it wonderful 
that that he crafts each snowflake even i believe you know because god is involved in the details and none of the snowflakes are exactly alike praise the lord you know but but there i think we can see that there's a pressure from the society that that uh pulls in the direction of not seeing the hand of god as scientists study the world more and more we come to see increasingly how complex it is it seems as if the yeah. more we study, the more we know we don't know. <laughs> this comes especially true when we come to the field of modern physics, and we have a whole host of new laws and laws of quantum mechanics. We have laws like Heisenberg's uncertainty principle and a whole host of other things that really call into question our understanding of what's going on. How would you describe the relationship between God's sovereignty and modern physics, for example? And how does modern physics actually support the notion of a Reformed doctrine of God's providence rather than undercut it? Uh, Yes, uh, that's a good question, because uh, the 20th century and the introduction of quantum mechanics was a shock. Uh, Einstein never got over it. (laughs) He, he, He said, God does not play dice. Uh, He was alluding to the fact that quantum mechanics intrinsically in the theory, there is an element of unpredictability. And it deeply upset Einstein, and and he was not alone because many uh, scientists wanted the world to be mechanically deterministic. And they found out that apparently it was not. Now, quantum mechanics, of course, is not the ultimate theory that explains everything, but it's it's interesting to see how people struggle with the fact that things were apparently not mechanically deterministic, and some people didn't like it, and other people did like it because it seemed to to mean that nobody was in control and you can do what you like. You know, so human religious motivations come in. Right? If the world is mechanically deterministic, then you escape God because it, it, everything just is it's like deism. Every, it's clockwork, and God, if he exists, is distant. If everything is chance in terms of no purpose anywhere, then you again you escape God because uh, everything is unaccountable. And, but in fact... Uh, I believe that both the regularities and the creativity of the things we cannot predict are testimonies to the faithfulness of God that's expressed primarily in the regularities and uh, his creativity in terms of and his sovereignty in terms of going beyond what we can predict and and so the so-called indeterminism of 20th century physics it offers a picture where you say God's knowledge, we can actually say, here's a place where God's knowledge exceeds ours, because there seems from quantum mechanics, and again, I'm cautious because quantum mechanics is not necessarily ultimate theory, but it seems from quantum mechanics there is an absolute theoretical, not merely practical barrier as to how much human beings can know. You cannot predict the exact motions of an atom. You cannot predict the exact moment when uh, a radioactive uh, a nucleus will disintegrate. Period. You cannot. Absolutely. 
as a matter of principle. But God, you see, that's where God's knowledge exceeds ours. Because, and it's it's a humbling thing of saying, you're a creature, you know. Whereas God is in charge of these things, and if it's just pure randomness with no regularity, then there would be no science. So, and, and as a matter of fact, quantum mechanics is a view, for those who get into it and have the talent. It's a wonderfully beautiful and and uh, uh, mathematically precise theory. It's just that it has this element of, unf- of of the limitations of our knowledge built into it. But how can there be that kind of precise theory unless there is a mind behind it? You see, it, it is really testimony. And Romans one is, of course, is is reminding us of yes. the testimony in all of creation to the eternal power and deity of God. So. I think what is called for on a part of Christians as we interact with this kind of thing is to assimilate it in terms of what it really is as testimony to God rather than, as some people, and some people have discussed it, think, you know, these things are out of God's control as well, which is just silly, as well as blasphemous. Yes. Believe it or not, we're still in part one here of the book. There are three parts. And chapter nine deals specifically with what is chance. You go into that in a little bit more deep detail. Um, can you uh, just go over how, just what is chance, what you're getting at in that chapter, and maybe how uh, human intentionality relates to the question at large? Uh, um, yeah, I'll have to look at what chapter you're talking about myself. Uh, but the trouble is that there's more than one definition. Um, and one definition is just saying uh, it, it is, uh, it's unpredictable by us. So it's relative to our human status as creatures. And I affirm that it's obviously, you know, quite, uh, it underlines, in fact, the creator creator-creature distinction. There's a second definition, and I'm just taking this out of the dictionary because this is how people, you know, think about it. It's a second definition. I'll read it. Uh, the assumed impersonal, purposeless determiner of unaccountable happenings. And then there's a colon, luck. And my summary of that kind of thing is there is no such thing as luck. Uh but people idolatrously, I believe, they use this kind of thinking as a substitute for God. When it says uh, assumed, it means this is, you know, this is people's views. Assumed, impersonal, purposeless determiner, you're really then making a substitute for the personal purposes of God. <laughs> Right, who has purposes, even though we often cannot understand them. He has purposes in everything, including, you know, like we talked about the chance events that happened in Job's life, and he couldn't see the purposes. Uh, but we're given in that one instance a bit of a of a, a inside view of the angelic realm and the divine realm and God you know, and Satan's accusations and so on. So we can see a little more 
of the purposes of God. So there are purposes in them. And this modern view of, of chance as luck is a denial, an out-and-out denial, and a kind of a counterfeit replacement of that. And it gets into people, you can see, uh, uh, for instance, with gamblers, talking about lady luck. It's kind of semi-personal even, but... Just like uh, Mother Nature. <laughs> uh, Mother Nature is another semi-personal one. <laughs> yeah. But, but particularly if we focus on things that we can't uh, predict, mm-hmm. uh, then the gamblers... They end up giving homage. There, it's a kind of you know, a religious thing underneath. I think, even though gamblers are not usually conscious of it, that they are placing a kind of trust in in and beseeching Lady Luck to give them favor. You know, it's just a perverse kind of thing when you think about it. Although, you know, in we also ought to sympathize in that, you know, many of us may not be particularly tempted to uh, engage in gambling ourselves, but you can see it's just another form of idolatry. It's the same kind of thing that each of us is tempted to do in in this and to sort of seize control of the world. If only, you know, things would go my way, right? And if only I had a million dollars and that sort of thing. And wishing and wishing, and then sometimes uh, putting trust in things that you think will help you. And I discuss in another point uh, people using a rabbit's foot or uh, you know four-leaf clover, or they they get these superstitious kind of things, and they consult astrologers, right, in hopes in hopes of trying to control their future. And and once you get a biblical view of these things, you realize that's really a substitute for saying, I don't need to know the future beyond what, of course, God uh, promises. I don't need to know all the details because God is in charge, and he's better at it than I could be, even if I knew a whole bunch more, you know. But that takes trust. It takes a kind of commitment that acknowledges dependence rather than I want to virtually be God in my control over my life. Now, can some some will think of the verses and the passages in Scripture where there are lots. Can you then distinguish between what you just mentioned and, and everything that's true about that and um, what we see in Scripture when people cast lots? It, it has a uh, just a um, surface resemblance, I guess, to um, either gambling or, or luck. So w- what's the difference there? Right. Well, if you look at the main instances of this, it is in a sacred context where people are seeking uh, to, to, who are seeking the will of God and seeking understanding based on the fact they really do believe in God's sovereignty. So one of the primary instances, for instance, is with, with Achan, after Achan has, has uh, stolen the stuff out of Jericho, and God specifically prohibited that. He stole his stuff and buried it, and and God reveals to Joshua that somebody has sinned, but Joshua doesn't know. Uh, of course, clearly God does know, right? So the then the lot is cast that narrows it down by tribe and by clan and so on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's clear, very clear from that situation that God is in charge, and also the whole 
setup for determining that is in where you have a specially qualified leader like Joshua who was authorized to do it. I think this is subject to a lot of abuse, you know, when people try to determine the will of God for their own life, and they act as if they could be Joshua. Well, Joshua is a type of Christ. He's the leader of whole of Israel. And in addition to that, I feel there's these instances, and there are not very many, but there are enough to make you think about it. These instances are related to the fact that prior to Pentecost and the fullness of the Holy Spirit that has now been given to the church, prior to that point, there, there is, uh, it's as if there's a kind of a minority status, uh, a childhood status to the people of God. And so God expresses his will very clearly in some of these instances. But I don't think it's appropriate now, especially because we have the Spirit, and the Spirit of Christ gives us wisdom. That's where this, uh, these Old Testament things are really headed, to the wisdom of Christ that gives us discernment rather than uh, we're saying, I'm going to rely on some random event in the environment. I know that Christians sometimes fall into this, you know, and they they uh, they ask for special signs uh, from God to to show them, or they or what I call other people have called it too lucky dipping, right? Uh, open the Bible at random, so there's a chance element. Open a Bible at random and read a verse, and that will be God's will for your life. Well, it is God's will for your life, no matter what part of the Bible you read. That's right. But it should be taken in context rather than ripped out of context and made to say something which you're really forcing, tried to force the hand of God. It's almost like throwing yourself down from the temple of, I'm trying to force the hand of God to give me what I want. No, wait patiently for him and and be willing to trust his ways rather than you know, to try to get some special information. So, But there are things like that that when you think about them, uh, we're still tempted to to uh, engage in use this world of chance in ways that are illegitimate, as well as, of course, there's a great challenge to understand positively how God is showing His glory in these areas. Uh, Doctor P, uh, what? Uh, how does your discussion of chance or probability? Uh, relate to the question of, say, Darwinian evolution or uh, naturalism? Oh, yeah, great question. Uh, and that is actually one of the subordinate reasons why I wrote the book. Uh, it, there was this concern for uh, the ordinary person struggling with uh, things that, that are unaccountable, you know, uh, events that can't be predicted. But I did have in my sights the whole area of Darwinism because I believe in the standard, you know, Darwinism is closely associated with atheism. It's not simply an issue. Now, we could debate the issue of did God use means uh, to bring about the 
the uh, kinds of creatures that are alive today. He could have done it in a moment. He couldn't do it by means. You have to look at Scripture. You have to look at uh, extra scriptural evidence as well and try to weigh things. Uh, But that's all within a framework for us who know the true God, uh, of uh, who is creator and sustainer of all things. For us, that's all within the context of God's involvement. So, for instance, uh, the the breeding of dogs, uh, it's a fascinating kind of thing. Human beings are engaged in it. There's, there's sort of natural processes in that you're selecting for certain genes. God is involved in it as well uh, because he is the Lord of all. Well, that's a different kind of issue than the issue of what Darwinism is usually or often associated with, namely saying all this is without purpose. It is unguided. Uh, And that kind of thing, then you have to talk about chance. And chance comes to play the substitute role for God. It's what I call chance with a capital C. It's chance as the purposeless determiner, that second definition that I think is anti-God or substitute or counterfeit uh, for God, uh, that's, that plays a role in, this, uh, in Darwinian ideology, the larger picture. And I want to go after it because I think once you see that chance is really a substitute for what we don't know, you know, chance with a small c, right, it's what we can't predict. So you're saying what we don't know and what we can't predict caused everything. You know, it's 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 not an explanation which doesn't explain. So I think there's a deep uh, uh, problem with that kind of appeal, but it's used over and over again because people are in flight from God. Right? They don't want to say. They don't want to admit. God brought it all about, either by means or, you know, directly and suddenly. They don't want to admit that, and and this provides them a substitute. And that's why, even though it's an absurd substitute on one level, it's saying to say chance did it is to say X did it, you know, when I don't know what X is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because uh, um, uh, chance is, is precisely what we cannot, what we're unable to predict. So uh, I wanted to go after that. I also wanted to say something more broadly about science in general, because experimental science involves repeated experiments. And whenever you repeat an experiment and make precise uh, measurements and precise records, the repetition is never an exact repetition. There are always variations, chance variations. So chance is integral to all of science. It's at the foundation of science even, because without experiment, then it's just speculation. So I want to go after that and to show how people are, under the surface, they're relying on God. And it's Romans 1, over and over again, in the area of science, knowing God, they refuse to honor him as God. Actually, you're relying on the fact God is in control of those variations that you cannot control. Otherwise, it's chaos, a chaos in the sense of there, anything can happen, and therefore science is, becomes impossible. Mm. Time and time again, I think, in your studies on, on all these subjects, we come to see that a good, solid biblical and 
we believe, reformed doctrine of God, of reformed theology, uh, proves itself true time and time again, and it's at the foundation of all of these things. For instance, probability itself is propped up and made possible. It presupposes an ultimate knower, one that's in control. And uh, the probability that we experience in the day-to-day events of our life presuppose our own finitude, the fact that we don't know everything. But if we had exhaustive knowledge about all events, we would certainly be able to predict every single coin flip because we would know the angle at which it was flipped, the force at which it was flipped, the particles in the air, the characteristics of the surface upon which the coin would land, we would be able to determine and know exactly what would happen if we were omniscient. But more than that, God is more than just omniscient. He's also the one who decrees all things that would come to pass. Yes, and I absolutely agree. And I think in some ways, in the culture of the West, the doctrine of God has become the primary point of contention underneath the surface. Many people don't recognize it, but I think that is the thing that Christians should be pressing on and explaining again and again who God is. Even if you take the you know, hot-button issues like uh, homosexuality, uh, what, the Christian view makes no sense unless you have God as creator who created human beings in his image, and therefore there are moral standards which are good for us. So that, but that's only one example. The whole area of science, again, theism of a Christian kind, makes an enormous amount of difference as to the construal of science. Is science uh, investigating uh, impersonal mechanism and purposeless evolution? You see, that's the Darwinian uh, understanding. Or are we seeing the hand of God everywhere we look? Yeah, yeah. And one thing we see there not only is the hand of God, but the very character and nature of God's person and his being, the fact that he is a trinity. He is a, an equal ultimacy of unity and diversity. He is one God and three persons subsisting in, in that one essence. And you connect that to the subject of chance. Uh, and you use uh, several different examples. One in particular is a whole series of coin flips. If we take flipping th- uh, a coin three times in a row, we can arrive at eight different uh, possibilities. And you can look at those in individual instances as particulars or instances of the whole classification or the whole set, or you could look at it indeed as a whole set, as a unity that has eight different possibilities. And then each of those uh, instances are all related to one another. How does that particular example demonstrate that chance and probability itself bears a reflection of the triune God who is both unity and diversity? Well, I think you've put your finger on the the main one of the main ways in which God's glory is manifested in it, and namely to even talk about probability, you have to have human conceptions of unity and diversity, right? That the entire set of coin flips, every coin flip is like every other coin flip, and we can take them together. Mm. And it's only when you take them together, then that you can talk about, well, roughly one-eighth of the time, it's going to come up three heads. 
right? When you say one-eighth of the time, you're picturing a whole number of trials, right? And every trial is like every other trial. Why? Because there's a unity in God's world, right? God And God has made a world unified because he is unified, because he is one God. And without that, again, no science, no probability, because there's no regularities to talk about. You've got to have regularities. The concepts are, at a basic level, like one another. And and also, you've got to have regularities not only out in the world, but in our minds that we can grasp as human beings made in the image of God, we can grasp, I see that these coin flips are similar kinds of events, right, that belong in a general category, and that let's see if I can study and see some common patterns in all of them because God has given them to me as things that belong together that are part of one category. So there's that unity, and then as you point out, each particular uh, flip of the coin is one instance out of that unity, and it, so that you know it expresses the diversity. In addition to that, I think you can do it in terms of the faithfulness of God's character. That gives the, that's the basis for the regularities in the world, and the creativity of God's speech. In that, it's. By analogy with human speech, you know, we we have a lot of creativity in what we can say. Well, that's a gift of God who created the world by speaking. And, of course, that goes back to the eternal word so that actually we have Trinitarian foundations for the unit, the, the harmony between the faithfulness of God and his creativity and the faithfulness expressed in the regularities and the creativity in the unpredictabilities and uh, I'm glad we live in a world that is not mechanically deterministic. And and sometimes I think people assimilate uh, Calvinist theology to a kind of mechanical determinism. But it, God is not mechanical. God is a person. <laughs> and that is the key, I think, to understanding that uh, it is a it's a wonderfully exciting world where God has surprises every day, you know, in terms of things that we are not anticipating. Sometimes, you know, often little bit bitty surprises, but we can rejoice in the uh, the kinds of creativity that we see, which goes back to. A divine plan. It's in his faithfulness, of course, always in his mind, but he's, his mercies are new every morning, as it says in Lamentation. Yeah. He, we, our experience has an excitement to it. And you see, I think that's quite consistent with a genuinely reformed understanding of the doctrine of God. Uh, the decree of God, his comprehensive plan and control, is the the, the guarantee uh, that the world is going to make sense and that our experience is going to be the wonderful thing that it is. If I may, I'd like to uh, uh, take this in a slightly different direction, although building on what you've just said. Dr. Van Til uh, differed with uh, Benjamin Warfield or he criticized Benjamin Warfield's apologetic method. Warfield gives the impression, and now it's been a while since I, I actually wrote on this topic, but uh, 
Warfield gives the impression that it's possible that, say, the uh, New Testament documents are wrong. Not likely, but uh, possible. So maybe we're getting into possibility as, as over again uh, probability. But you, you even have the issue apologetically in terms of espousing a model where you're demonstrating that God is most probable, or that the Christian yeah, God of the prob- Bible is probable. And therefore, Van Til yeah. would often flip that probabilistic notion of apologetics on its head and say, well, it's not a possibility that God doesn't exist. Right. And and he would evidence or present a notion of apologetics that would try to excise any notion of probability from apologetic method. And you you would touch on this uh, even in chapter 23 of your book, Is God Probable? Uh, how would you answer that question, maybe a slightly different angle on the question, but how would you address the very subject here, seeing yeah, all that we've right. already said? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that chapter is I would have mentioned if you hadn't because I I'm trying to uh, disc- interact with these very arguments that we are talking about of uh, that try to weigh probabilistic arguments uh, uh, the the existence of God in terms of of uh, uh, quantities of evidence, and and uh, therefore, is it more or less probable? And my answer to that is, on the one hand, uh, the, the the that kind of discussion is not complete nonsense because people with defective knowledge of God uh, have subjective feelings of probability that may vary. You know, one day everything is going right, and they feel. That that probably God does exist, but that's their you know that's what I call subjective probability, and and uh, and some other day you know then they're they're feeling in a blue mood and and so it changes. But that's the, uh, that's their it, it's only their personal judgment. But at the same time, there is a deep paradox about all of that discussion because as I try to show, the whole structure of probability, both as a mathematical theory. And as probability out in the world, it, it radically depends on God for its meaning. So here you are discussing whether God is probable, and the whole concept of probability depends on God actually existing. You know, so so the, that that whole area uh, is, I think, radically changed once you see how God testifies to His eternal power and deity in the very structure of the idea of probability. And that's what I think many people have failed to do. Yeah, and that's really the Van Tilian point. That, and, and, and Bonson, Greg Bonson, makes this very clear in his teachings on Cornelius Van Til that the reason the transcendental argument, as taught by Cornelius Van Til, why that is different from other arguments is that even if its premises are false— so to speak, it still proves the case because the entire investigation is dependent upon the triune God of Scripture. The whole notion of proof itself is dependent upon who God is. It wouldn't stand yeah. on its own without God undergirding it in the first place. Yes, and in my book on logic, uh, I attempt to do that with respect to the use of, of deductive logic, but this is more the kind of inductive thing where you're 
you're weighing evidence. And in both areas, I think you get the same, what you call the transcendental conditions, you get the same observation that the entire structure uh, is dependent on God, that is, as a uh, God who made the world, but also God who made our minds, right? So it's dependent, actually, in, in several different respects. And that leads to still another point that that in the philosophical discussions of what is probability, people wrestle with the relationship between probability in the world and probability in human minds and probability as a kind of norm. Well, those three things, actually, you have to have God as creator to bring them together. God created us, he created the world, and of course, he is himself the ultimate norm. And that way you get, to even have a theory of what probability is, you have to have that dependence on God as creator and sustainer of the world. You know, in the final part of your book, well, I shouldn't say the final, it's the fourth part, then there's a whole lengthy series of appendices, which are all fascinating and and on a whole host of topics, is this uh, notion of, of probability represented in mathematics. And uh, you demonstrate, uh, you know, some aspects, and it's not too complicated. I should say, as you mentioned early on in the interview, that that none of this, none of these uh, mathematical points should really scare too many people away. It's not too complex. Uh, however, you do you do work into some probability theory, and you talk about uh, the role of a dice, for instance. How does uh, the role of a die and uh, the representation thereof, in terms of sets and probabilities? How does that build upon the theological foundations that we've spoken about heretofore, and uh, how does that itself illustrate the Triune God? What, how do, in, yeah, in terms of specific mathematics, I mean, how can we see right. the Trinity even in those things? Yes, well, uh, yeah, we've already spoken about the equal ultimacy of one and many, because the, the one, one role of the die is related to an arbitrary series of roles. But there's another way of seeing the coherence that God has uh, ordained in the world, and uh, when that would be the relationship between our thinking, right, our subjective thinking, and the the uh, events in the world, because God has made both. And there's still another way uh, with the relationship between the mathematical theory, which has been formalized, and so you can do it in terms of uh, axioms and deductions and be, make it very rigorous. It's all there as mathematics that's about purely abstract events. You don't define what events you're talking about. But then it gets applied to things like rolling dice and flipping coins and events in the real world or, or even statistics about death rates from various kinds of cancer and so on. The theory, the mathematical theory, gets applied there. Well, why does that work? It's because God has ordained the mathematics and he's ordained the world to to operate in terms of uh, conformity to his word of decree. And that means that there's harmony. And that's we're depending on that constantly in any kind of use 
of the mathematics of probability. And it's a, a point well worth making, again, with reference to science and with reference to there's whole fields that are deeply involved with statistics. And it all goes back to dependence on God as creator and sustainer once again. You even speak about proportion and, and those types of things and different perspectives on outcomes that we might find. I, I would encourage the, the listener to get a copy of this book just to see it, because there's so many figures and illustrations in the book that make it uh, very simple to follow along. Uh, but you just take this basic notion of adding 1, 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 6. And something as simple as that can demonstrate uh, the unity that we find built into numbers, built into nature, the whole creation, because of the triune God who is both one and three. You look at that in the large perspective, you can see that there are six of them. You can break it down into individual instances, and you can find the first instance of one, the second instance, all the way to the sixth instance. If you divide both sides by six, you end up with... Uh, 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 divided by 6 equals 6 divided by 6. And then if you distribute those, you find 1 sixth plus 1 sixth, etc. equals 6 sixth equals 1. Back to the unity once again. It just demonstrates, um, and it's hard to get across just in, in me speaking here on audio, but when you see the pictures and you see the formulas, you can see is something as basic as addition and the sum of that addition how we see, really, a doctrine of God built right into it. Well, you're, you're anticipating. I've got the book coming out, Redeeming Mathematics, <laughs> <laughs> which is going to go into that kind of thing more. But I'm glad you, you are encouraged to see it in this uh, book, because uh, I, uh, I, I want people <clears throat> to, to be encouraged in thinking God's thoughts after him uh, on the level of creature and an understanding how the stamp of God's character and the wonder of his uh, nature in his Trinitarian nature as well is expressed even in detailed textures of the things that he's ordained. Yeah, it's so encouraging, and, and I'm looking forward to that next book. That was actually going to be one of my final questions for you. What else are you working on? You're working on redeeming mathematics. Is there anything else on the horizon? Uh, maybe any interesting well, appendices? That's very, I'm told that's uh, coming out in 2015. 2014, God willing, redeeming philosophy. Yeah, wow. Uh, God-centered approach to the big questions. Mm-hmm. That certainly and, touches, uh, builds upon your book on logic, no doubt, but also it, all of these books are touching on philosophical right, subjects. Right, it does, yeah. And, and you know, philosophy has been so uh, corrupted by, I think, the autonomous desire to know the world without reference to special revelation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it just... It doesn't work. <laughs> so I'm trying to do it, obviously, informed by Scripture and to commend uh, the Scripture as a primary source for our view of the world. But anyway, so there's that and redeeming mathematics, and then one called a handbook for biblical hermeneutics, uh, interpreting in the presence of God, where I emphasize the divine authorship as uh, all the way through the process of interpretation. And uh, then one after that, signs of redemption, or Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, signs of redemption, because, uh, so that's a more special, you know, more 
focusing on on uh, uh, the, the New Testament and the Gospels. But uh, the miracles of Jesus over and over again are pictures. They're not only wonderful as in terms of d- d- showing divine power, but they're pictures of the meaning of his uh, crucifixion and resurrection and, and how he comes to redeem the world. So I'm excited to show people that the miracles aren't to be read simply. They, of course, are real events, but they're not to be read simply as, well, this happened, but as theologically informative about how Christ saves us. So, you know, opening eyes of the blind, for instance, well, Mm. that's symbolic for opening our spiritual eyes. We're certainly looking forward to all of these titles coming out in the future, but the one that's in our hands at the moment, the one you can purchase from various places, is Chance and the Sovereignty of God, a God-Centered Approach to Probability and Random Events by our guest, Vern Poitras. It's from Crossway Books, and you can find it at WTSBooks.com, among other places. We encourage you to visit them and support them in their ministry of offering wonderful books at a great price. Uh, this book uh, certainly something that would interest many people and uh, definitely demonstrates and illustrates uh, the wonder and the beauty of the triune God, even in chance and uh, in probability. So we want to thank you very much, Dr. Poitras, for joining us. It's been another fascinating discussion. Oh, uh, thanks again for uh, inviting me, and uh, I'm glad to have participated. Well, thank you. You can find out more information about Dr. Portress at wts.edu. You can also find many of his publications online, including many uh, PDF copies of his uh, books at frame-poitress.org. That's frame as you'd expect it to be spelled dash P-O-Y-T-H-R-E-S-S dot org. A whole host of information there. Wonderful stuff. You can find us online at reformedforum.org. There you'll find information about all of our programs as well as how to subscribe to them and have them downloaded automatically so that you don't miss any of these discussions on different theological subjects. And we encourage you to get a hold of us as well. We love hearing your feedback and also attempting to answer any questions that we may receive. So you can send us your questions or comments at mail at reformedforum.org or tweet us at reformedforum. We want to thank everybody for listening, and we hope you join us again next time on Christ the Center.